After this, I looked in heaven, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was flying like an eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Okay, well, hopefully you can hear down the back. I reckon crank it up a bit more, Ben, I think I would say. And uh, it doesn't really work to see the screen so well, so I'm sorry about those who are um, back home. We'll work on that one for next week. Um, How about we pray as we come to the Bible? Let's pray that we'd understand what we're looking at. Heavenly Father, we just ask that with everything going on, uh, we pray that you'd give us clear heads as we look at your word now. Lord, please help us. Uh, to be able to concentrate and to be able to see things in this passage that we may not have noticed before. Lord, we just ask that you would bless us as we read um, Revelation and think about it today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our first week of looking at Revelation, um, we saw that this is a letter to seven churches and it is intended to be a blessing. It's a letter to seven churches intended to be a blessing because it gives hope to these Christians who are waiting They're waiting for Jesus to return. Hope for them because the time is near, is the picture you get. So when you look at um, verse 3 of chapter 1, you see all that. Second week in Revelation, what we saw is um, how this letter blesses um, the people in these seven churches and anyone who will read it. It gives hope as the Apostle John um, spells out this vision that he saw and shares it with his companions his brothers and companions in the kingdom of Jesus. His companions in the kingdom of Jesus and in the suffering and the patient endurance that they're all undergoing with their hope set on Jesus. And you see that in verse 9 of chapter 1. Um, John and the recipients of this letter, they're waiting for Jesus to return. The time's near, it's imminent, it's upon them. 
And John writes what he saw on this island of Patmos, and it's a vision that's in apocalyptic form. It's a message from Jesus, and it's a message about Jesus. It's a message to Christians who are caught in the overlap of the ages. They're part of Jesus' kingdom, but they're waiting for their kingdom to come. It's written for people like us. John writes what he saw on the island of Patmos. It's a vision, and it's also, as it gets recorded, it comes out in an apocalyptic genre, a type of writing that reveals. Um, There's a message here from Jesus to his churches. Seven times we're invited to hear this message. And so last week when we looked in chapters 2 and 3, seven times the message to each of the churches says, anyone who has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so as John records this message from Jesus to each of the churches in chapters 2 and 3, each church has specific challenges that they're undergoing um, as they patiently endure and as they wait for Jesus to return. The seven messages to the seven churches, as you look at it, yeah, it helps you understand how this would apply to us too as we wait in the overlap of the ages, wait for Jesus to return. Our struggle may be like one of the churches that gets mentioned. And seven messages to seven churches that help us understand how this letter can be a blessing to us too. It's intended to bless us as we patiently wait for Jesus to return. So then today, um, as we turn to chapters 4 and 5, the vision that John saw as he records it for us shows us Jesus in the control room of the universe, Jesus in heaven, Um, Jesus bringing in his kingdom because the time is near, the time is at hand. Um, John's shown heaven. It's like he's looking through the keyhole. He sees heaven with God in control in chapter 4. That's what we see. Um, the image Jesus, uh, John is showing is of Jesus there as you turn to chapter 5 standing on the throne in the centre of heaven looking like a lamb that was slain Jesus on the throne Jesus in control and John sees Jesus worthy to open this scroll this scroll which as it's opened as he looks ahead in chapter 6 as each of the seals is taken off it it ushers in waves of judgement that come across the earth and the arrival of the new heaven and the new earth It's Jesus who's opening these seals, opening these scrolls. He's in control of the times and everything that's to come. So point one in your sermon outline, John sees a vision of the control room of the universe. So come back, let's start working through it. We'll do a quick flyover and then we'll dig into a few details. So 4 verse 1 starts like this. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. It's like the door's left open. He can see what's happening in God's throne room. And it goes on, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet back in chapter one said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. So in this vision on the island of Patmos, John sees heaven. He gets to look into heaven the way it is even now. And he's invited to see what's going to happen. Um, John's given a look, if you like, into the cockpit You never get to do that these days. You don't know what they're doing up the front there. But John can see exactly what's happening. The control room of the universe. What else, uh, what does John see in here in this control room? Look at verse 2. He sees a throne. He sees someone sitting on the throne. And the description of this someone, it's a kind of weird description. It's an amazing description, but there's not really very many human sort of characteristics here. But it's very much a picture of God. And he's seated on his throne. And then around, in verse 4, around that, you've got these 24 elders. 
We've only got four at our church. Don't let that distract you. There's 24 elders around the throne of God. They too must have positions of ruling because they've got their own little thrones. But why 24 of them? Well, we're reading Revelation. It's apocalyptic genre. Don't get distracted by the details. We, we want the big picture here. We'll come back and we might be able to nail a few details down, particularly as you keep reading through Revelation, where there's something you need to be able to understand. You'll see it. It'll come out. So come back to the 24 later. Big picture. God on his throne. Elders surrounding him. Verse 5. Out of the centre of the throne comes flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder. <clears throat> there's some fear here, some awe. Um, verse 6, still further out, around the elders' um, thrones, there is the impressive calm sea, like glass. And then verse 7 and 8, John sees living creatures buzzing around, speaking God's praises. Again, you want, you want to unravel what these creatures are, but just, just get the big picture now. Get the feel for this big picture. This is apocalyptic. That's how you read it. You want the big picture. It'd be like parables in the New Testament. What's the big main point? That's what we're after here. Um, what do these living creatures represent? <clears throat> well, let's worry about that later as well. Verses 9 to 10, the elders join in the praising of God. And the way it's written, they're falling down constantly. It's like this goes on and on and on, giving glory to God. So I've deliberately glossed over the, all the details, but you've got a nice clear picture, haven't you? God on his throne in the centre of the control room of the universe in heaven, with everything around him singing his praises. And it's a, an amazing scene. Um, if you were to summarise what John sees, you could summarise it with verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God is worthy of all praise and all worship. Um, that John is shown this vision of an ordered command centre with God in control and everything acknowledging his control. And he just records what he sees. He's writing this down, this vision. He's, remember who he's writing for? He's writing for seven churches in Asia. Seven bunches of Christians. They're in Jesus' kingdom. They're waiting for the king to come. In the meantime, some are slipping away. Some are being tempted. Some are being persecuted. Some are even dying. Christians like us, Christians in the real world, that's who it's written for. And as Christians in the real world read this, we see that's what it's really happening. That's what it's really like. God is in control. Sovereign, ordered, and amazingly in control. Despite being in the overlap of the ages, despite the reality of suffering, God is worthy to be praised. He's working to a plan as well. When John was invited to look into heaven, he was told to come and see what must soon take place. What's God's plan? What's, when's Jesus going to come back, perhaps? So what's going to happen? Read on, verse 5. There's a scroll that's introduced, 5 verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne... A scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. There's God on the throne holding this scroll that is absolutely jam-packed full, written on both sides, but it's sealed up seven times. Seven seals. It makes me think of those, you know, those wax seals with a stamp on it. Only the right person can open it. Seven seals sealing up all that is going to happen, I take it. Verse 2, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Whatever is written on this scroll is very important. Everyone wants to know what's in there. It's God who's holding it. It's got to be important. Everyone wants to know what God will say in this scroll. This scroll is packed full. 
Remember back in 4 verse 1, come up here and I'll show you what must soon take place after this. I take it that's what's in the scroll, what must soon take place. Everyone wants to know. Piecing things together, I guess reading the scroll would tell you when Jesus will return. What's imminent, what's going to happen. The scroll holds all the details of what must take place, the truth about Jesus' kingdom, the things that must soon happen. It's all hidden there, but there's no one who can open it. That's a bit sad. So 5 verse 4, John cries, he weeps. It's very sad. Here they are, suffering Christians, wanting to know what... And no one can open the scroll. But then in verse 5, one of the elders says, Do not weep, see, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So there is somebody who can open this up and reveal it for us. And this somebody, they've, in verse 5, they've triumphed. Um, this year feels like my little year of getting annoyed with the NIV. They've translated triumph, but the word behind it is the same word you've seen in the seven messages to the seven churches. Seven times they're told to overcome, to conquer, to be victorious. This one has. He's triumphed. He's been victorious. He's conquered. What the churches are urged to do, in verse 5, this one has done. He's the one who can open this scroll and make all these things happen. So look at verse 5. He has this impressive resume. It all calls to mind Old Testament expectations of the Messiah, the ruler who will come in the line of David, this massive, huge, impressive resume. And then verse 6, you have this horrible clash. Verse 6, then I saw a lamb looking like it's been slain, standing in the centre of the throne, circled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. Well, that's an impossible picture. But it's also a massive clash. This lion looking like a lamb that's slain. There's the gospel of Jesus in apocalyptic genre. It's the way this type of writing speaks. There's the gospel of Jesus in apocalyptic imagery. The ruler, the lion, looking like a lamb that's slain. And the vision continues in verse 7. Jesus takes the scroll. In verses 8 to 10, the elders fall down before Jesus now. And they sing a new song, we're told. A song that declares that Jesus is worthy. So in verse 9, 5 verse 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign on earth. Here's Jesus. He's the one worthy to open the scroll because he died and he rose. He conquered. He's victorious. The lamb is worthy to open the scroll, verses 1 to 10. That's what we're being shown. And in verses 11 to 12, everyone and everything now joins in praising the Lamb, praising Jesus. So how are you going at reading apocalyptic genre? It's not that scary, is it? It is a blessing to you to see this is the way things really are. God's in control. Jesus is in control. And Jesus is the one who has control of the future. Verse 12 might be a summary verse for chapter 5. Jesus is worthy, it says. Verse 12 of chapter 5, in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory uh, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and then down in verse 13 to 14 it could be like a summary of the two chapters four and five to him who sits on the throne of the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped again so chapter four you see god is worthy chapter five you see jesus is worthy to open the scroll to unravel the future And the lamb, in verses 11 to 14, is worthy of praise and worship. 
So we've glossed all the details. We've just kind of flown over these chapters, not getting distracted by the detail in them. And you see a very clear picture. And it is encouraging to us to keep hanging on because God is in control. Um, you see this picture? It dates back a long way till the... I pulled it out last time we went through Revelation. But it's a picture made by a guy called Robert Silvers. It's a photo mosaic. It's a picture of the late um, Princess Diana. But when you look really close, what he's done is he's made up this picture with pictures of flowers. That's a pretty clever little trick, isn't it? Um, I'm showing you that picture because I couldn't find the one I really wanted. The one I wanted is another one supposedly by the same person, but it's a picture of Bill Gates. And his image is made up of currency, money. What's, what's the, the big point of this bit of art? Bill Gates is made of money. That's it. But give that to an engineer. Huh? They'll have a look at it and they'll go, hey, look at that. Look at where the Australian dollar is. This is old, remember? So, oh, it's right next to the American. Wow, that's right. Little Johnny Howard, he was best buddies. And they went into Iraq and you know, let the engineer royal the, wreck the image for you, if you like. But apocalyptic genre, it's like the artwork. You want the big picture. If you are going to look at the details, it needs to help you understand and appreciate the big picture. Otherwise, the details, just ignore them. Just let them go. They're there for impression. So you get the big picture. And I reckon when it comes to Revelation, just relax a bit. Read for the big picture. And you'll come away encouraged and blessed. But then, there is something to be gained from digging into the details, if you do it carefully. And if you don't let the details spoil the big picture... So let's have a look at some of the details that I've glossed over. Um, you'll see it's not too hard to read Revelation if you just relax a bit. And the good thing about Revelation is the deeper you get in, the more of the details get popped out for you further in. So just let a few things slip. Let them, let them hang out, un, you know, not locked down. Jesus' vision, it's a, um, John's vision is a vision that Jesus gives him. It's a vision of Jesus and it unveils Jesus. So in chapters 4 and 5, there you see Jesus in authority and in all power controlling the future. And this revelation of Jesus, it's an encouragement to see the world from God's perspective and to keep living for Jesus. We could just shut the Bible now and pray and be done. But let's have a look at a few details and see what we can add. First detail, um, consider how this vision connects with everything that will now follow through Revelation because it helps. So 5 verse 1, the scroll with the seven seals, it's introduced... Um, it's the Lamb, it's Jesus, who will be able to open the seals on this scroll. So 6 verse 1, John watches as the seals are opened, and we look at this next week. But each seal is opened, and as it's opened, a wave of judgment rolls across the earth. Everything John sees in his vision is based in headquarters, the control room of the universe, the throne room. And as we read, we keep coming back to this control room. So the seals get opened one after the other. You come to 7 verse 9, six seals have been opened. 7 verse 9, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. We're back in the control room. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. They, were, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's echoes of chapter 5, praising Jesus and God. All the angels, verse 11, were standing around the throne and I... And around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped, saying, Amen, 
praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour. As the seals are opened, after six of them are opened, the vision returns to the throne room, to the control room. More of that next week. Um, so first thing about the details, as you look at the details, just appreciate how um, we see these chapters in four and five controlling and shaping what comes later. Second thing about the details, look at the Old Testament imagery that's all the way through. Um, you'll notice as you look through Revelation, there's actually, I said this before, but there's nothing new. It's a reshaping, a recasting of what you'll find elsewhere in the Bible. So, for example, look at the throne in 4 verse 3. Um, there's this vision of God on the throne, 4 verse 3. There's this rainbow around the throne. The rainbow was introduced back in Genesis. It was back in Genesis 8 and 9. After the flood, the rainbow represented God's um, commitment to his creation. It was the sign of God's covenant with his creation. He will continue to care for creation. It's a sign of a covenant. It's a promise that God won't punish in an indiscriminate way like the flood again. A sign that God's going to be committed to his creation. And so here we are in Revelation reading about these waves of judgment. But remember, this is coming out from the throne with the rainbow. God is committed to his... You can see the Old Testament imagery. and You can see it does help understand the big picture. It fills it out, makes it richer. Um, There's more Old Testament echoes. So 4 verse 5, the thunder and the lightning around the throne. It sounds like Exodus chapter 19 when God gathers his people around Mount Sinai and there's thunder and lightning. And Well, it's just everything that you know about God in the Old Testament carries through here in John's vision. God is amazing and awesome and scary. There's more. As you keep looking at the the imagery here, there's echoes of the Old Testament. So, for example, um, back in Ezekiel chapter 1, I'll just read it. In Ezekiel chapter 1, we read, In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. It sounds like Revelation back in Ezekiel. Down in Ezekiel 1 verse 4, I looked and before, and I saw a windstorm come out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounding brilliant light. The centre of the fire looked like glowing metal, and the fire was what looked like four living creatures. It's in appearance, their form was that of a man, but each of them had four faces and four wings. It's just so much like Revelation. And so as you come to Revelation, you've got the Old Testament in the background. The better you understand the Old Testament, well, the better you'll appreciate what we're reading here in Revelation. There's more. So in verse 5, Jesus is described as the line of the tribe of Judah. If you read the Old Testament, you know that there will be a king that comes in the line of Judah. Um, Nothing new in Revelation. It's this reshaping, this repackaging, this filling out of biblical imagery. So, notice how Revelation 4 and 5 set us up for what follows. Secondly, understand all the Old Testament imagery that's in there. Another thing in the details, watch out for numbers and symbols. By now, you might even be getting weary of hearing the number 7. It's all the way through Revelation constantly. Um, As you read Revelation, we don't want to become obsessed with numbers, but there are some things you can nail down. We know that in apocalyptic writing, numbers are symbolic. And so there are conclusions that we can draw. Um, The test should always be, though, does it help me understand the big picture? Does it add to the big picture? If it distracts from the big picture, well, you're not getting the symbolism right. It's not what's there. The big picture is always going to be clear in Revelation. Nine times out of ten, you'll be told what the symbols represent. So consider those 24 elders. We glossed over it before. Why 24? Well... On one level, it doesn't matter. There's a lot of them. 
and they're around God. That's the ordered picture. That's the big picture. But as Revelation continues to unfold, when John sees the New Jerusalem back in or ahead in chapter 21, this is what you read in 21 verse 12. I had a, uh, the city; it had a great high wall with 12 gates, okay, and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so you've got 12 tribes of Israel. Well, we knew that. Okay. You keep reading Revelation 21, verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Ah, right. Okay, so back in this vision in chapter, chapter 4 and 5, it could be the tribes and the apostles all the Old Testament and all the New Testament believers represented by these elders. Yeah, that's a pretty good hunch. And it's come out of Revelation. But again, if that's too complex, let it go. Just stick with the the big picture. If it makes sense, you go, yeah, God is sovereign. He's in control. He's got all his people in his hand. Uh, Another little example of symbolism, still in 4 verse 4. These elders, they're clothed with white. What's the significance of the colour of their clothes, well, you want you, you think cleanliness, don't you? Clean. I mean, white is good and bright and, you know, all those ads for detergent and whatever. But you keep reading through Revelation and actually it could be victory, the colour of victory. And so you, then you let that shape the way you see this picture. Um, if that's right, then these elders, they have overcome. They're now righteous and clean. That kind of works. We could keep trying to unravel, but you see what I'm trying to do? We're trying to read Revelation for what's in front of us and not make things up and let Revelation inform itself with the Old Testament in the background. And as we we play with the details, just keep making sure you're not losing sight of the big picture. Make sure that it adds to the big picture. So let me remind you for today of the big picture. This vision John records shows Jesus in in control of the universe. Jesus, all-powerful. Jesus bringing in his kingdom because the time is here. The time is at hand and he's opening those seals, bringing in his kingdom. John is showing heaven. John's showing um, God in the control room, chapter four. Um, John's showing Jesus looking like a slain, ma- a slain lamb. Jesus on the throne of heaven. Jesus in control. And John, as he shows us Jesus, it's Jesus who's worthy to open these scrolls and who's worthy of all praise. So in the context of Christians undergoing suffering and persecution, John reminds us of the reality. This is what's really happening. You look into heaven with me. God's in control. Jesus is in control. And it's an amazing way to communicate a really simple truth in a vision, in something which is memorable. And I'm hoping you'll keep thinking about this vision through the course of the week. Have a look at um, 5 verses 13 to 14 just to finish. 5 verse 13. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Please pray with me. Father God, we know that we live in a fallen world, in a world that feels like it's very messed up. Lord, we look forward to Jesus returning so that we can enjoy all the privileges of, of his throne and his justice and everything being set right. But Heavenly Father, while we wait, we pray that you would help us to patiently endure, to keep trusting in Jesus, to keep sharing the good news about Jesus with those around us, even when that's not easy. Father, we pray that Jesus would return soon. 
but we pray that you will be merciful and give our friends time to realise that you are in control, that you will judge. Please help them to turn back to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're going to have the chance to hum again while we get sung at.